0: For the Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Visit us online at faith.yale.edu. To look
1: to those communities that are the most deprived of flourishing and see how they relate to Christ and how they relate that to a God of life or a God of flourishing, if that makes sense. You can actually be, at least according to Christian thought, the only sinless person in human history, and you can still be tortured and crucified in your early 30s.
0: This is For the Life of the World, a podcast about seeking and living a life worthy of our humanity. I'm Evan Rosa with the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Hello friends. Help me make sense of this for a minute. From the perspective of Christian theology, it's probably not going too far to say that both the moral exemplarity and the suffering life of Jesus should be central to the Christian understanding of flourishing. Here's another way to put it. Jesus was morally perfect, sinless, But encountered immense suffering, poverty, marginalization, oppression, eventual torture and death. He was tempted, yet without sin, but also counted among the sinners, according to Isaiah 53's suffering servant theme. He's acquainted with grief, familiar with sorrow, anguished in his soul. And so the big question here is what kind of flourishing do we envision? when we follow Christ toward that flourishing. Today, we're sharing a conversation between Matt Crosman and Katie Grimes, Assistant Professor of Theological Ethics at Villanova University. Together, they discuss the social context of theology, trying to make sense of the role of Christ in approaching theology from the perspective of flourishing. For Katie, thinking about flourishing means thinking about virtues and vices, And that means thinking about the habits that pull us along toward the fully realized human good. But it also means pursuing a theological vision that accounts for the most troubling of social realities. Thanks for listening today. Katie, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. If you meet someone and they ask you what you do for a living... What answer do you give them, and what kind of conversation do you end up having?
1: Well, I have to admit that sometimes I dread that question, just because you don't know where people are coming from, how what I say might come across. So, I mean, I'm honest. I usually start by saying, oh, I teach. Where do you teach? I teach at a college. And I say, I teach theology. Some people aren't quite sure what that is, so I say it's kind of like teaching religion, but kind of from an insider's perspective. And then I say, but, you know, it's, it's not so much about indoctrinating people. It's about kind of teaching them about the faith and how to think critically. So, I mean, you kind of have to gauge like where the person's coming from, because some people aren't sure about what theology could possibly mean as an academic discipline. And I kind of just see where the person I'm talking to takes it. Sometimes they want to share their opinions on religion or God, I kind of just follow their lead. And I don't particularly have any particular agenda. I just take it kind of just any conversation because sometimes people have like a genuine question or something that they maybe an experience. They want to get off their chest. And so I kind of let them lead and and maybe kind of take it more, I guess, as more like a chaplain uh, or some kind of just seeing where they want to go. So.
2: For, first of all, I relate to that entirely. I mean, these big questions about what is theology, what is it for. I mean, so many of these questions. I guess one thing, theology, is it's contextual, right? It, yes. it has to do with people and their environments and their cultures and their experiences and when you meet that's the whole thing of meeting a stranger you don't know what their culture is
1: yeah exactly
2: why don't we start on the positive side okay let's start on the plus side as you look at theology what do we have to be grateful for in theology what's going well what's right with theology these days
1: that's a very that's a broad and hard question i think i think maybe first to start saying what's going right in theology is teaching i Mm. think is just I mean, professors in all different types of institutions, Across the theological and political spectrum, I think just concern and care for teaching mm-hmm. and those kind of just relationships and encounters, I think that's probably what we can most hang our hat on. And But I guess from the research side, I think a lot of the work being done by scholars of color, I think, is certainly the academy is still disproportionately white and white people have disproportionate power. But I think people of color are paving away from, for themselves. And I think that is probably, I think, maybe one of the most hopeful things that's going right in theology that maybe had been going less right in the past. Still could go, still needs to go more right, but it's on the way, I
2: think. Mm. Well, so maybe that's one of the answers then for our next question, which is what gives you pause or what should be concerning us in terms of the state of theology at the moment?
1: I mean, from a structural side, I know some institutions are struggling financially. We live in a finite world. We're not just sui generis. I think that's a little concerning. Kind of a lot of institutions are trying to figure out how do we live in this new kind of economic reality? with technology. But I think just the the things that give me the most pause, it's kind of the flip side of the things I'm the most excited about. I think the academy, the university, we're in a society, right? So for the most part, we're going to reflect both the strengths and weaknesses, right? Or the virtues and vices, you could say, of our surrounding culture. And a lot of the structural injustices, particularly racism or white supremacy, it's reflected not just in the university, but in in the academy. And I I think certainly there is energy within, there is energy among theologians to combat that, right? But it's it's not something that people in an department can do just by being conscious, right? It, it's kind of it's going to require kind of really intense, widespread structural change. And so, I mm-hmm. think trying to resist the vices that we all come into from our mm-hmm. culture, I think that's probably the thing that gives me the most pause.
2: So that that puts a. So I hear you talking a lot about kind of institutional context, social context. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that our theological task doesn't just end with our teaching and our writing? Do we have responsibilities for building certain sorts of institutions? Is that how you would think about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, my colleague, Jerry Byer is very concerned with kind of structural justice in the university from an economic lens. My mentor, James Keenan, just wrote a book on university ethics. Mm. I do think uh, all facets, not just racism. I do think we have an obligation to attend to the, kind of the structural justice within the university. I mean, not just within the university, but the way the university is acting in society, if mm. that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So Miroslav and I have proposed that theology could be helped by thinking more about flourishing human life. And it seemed to us that yeah, if we're going to be writing and thinking about that then we have some responsibilities to to advocate and to work for the possibility of the flourishing of the lives of other humans around us and these sorts of things. Is that how does that strike you that kind of proposal to say let's talk flourishing human lives. This is a thing that theology ought to be about articulating.
1: I think it's a great place to start. I mean, I'm, as I said in my paper, I'm a little biased because I did grow up Catholic mm-hmm. and heavily influenced by kind of a mystic mindset, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think flourishing is a great place to start. And again, with flourishing, right. Think, um, Flir- flourishing it, it, it does require a certain kind of intellectual disposition mm. but also again that's flourishing is also it's not just something people do individually or even in, right. in not even in their communities right even communities are within structures right i think along with that it's not the only thing we need to do but again yeah. we're concerned about flourishing we should be concerned about the things that impede flourishing especially yeah. those things that might be outside of an individual or a community's control
2: yeah so how would you how would and this is a, uh, all of my questions are genuine. This is a one that I puzzle over a lot. How do we, so there can be, in a kind of struggle to, to right injustices in our world, to, ver, to, to resist kind of continued systemic injustice. It can seem like the focus, rightly, presumably, some degree of focus needs to be on what's wrong. We need to keep our eyes on what's inhibiting the flourishing of, of human beings. What role is there for, a kind of positive vision of human flourishing. Is it simply the sum total of removing all the inhibitors and it sort of naturally happens on its own? Or is there, do you see mm-hmm. the question? Or is there a kind of a positive task of articulation that's, um, that's presumably goes hand in hand with the negative work, but is still somehow a a different sort of task or a complementary sort of task?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really important question. I think for for me, I think the negative and the positive are intertwined. So if we're thinking about flourishing, at least for me, we're also thinking about virtue and vice habits.
2: Mm.
1: And we do a bunch of different metaphors, learning to play an instrument, learning to play sports, recovering from a drug or alcohol addiction, we can kind of know, sort of, we're like, well, I kind of know what it sounds like to play the violin well, or to be good at basketball during the NBA finals. So I'm going to bring up basketball, right? Or I kind of know what it would be like to not be dependent on a certain drug. But at the same time, the kind of actual intellectual knowledge of what that positive state of flourishing looks like, it's kind of something you discover through Mm. the living of it or through the building of the habit, right? Mm. And so I kind of see them as intertwined, I mean, we we kind of have a sense of what it looks like to be a great basketball player, right? But for example, LeBron James, he he would have grown up dreaming about being the greatest of all time, but he doesn't actually know what that was going to look like until he got there. And so it's kind of along the way. I mean, you know, liberation theology has done a good job with the praxis and reflection. I mean, it's kind of similar with building habits. So to me, I see them as dependent, right? And, And it may be that when we're starting along the way to flourishing, all we may know for sure is that this is bad. Hmm. right so if we stop this or avoid this right then a, a new way of life opens up kind of but only after that if that makes sense that's kind of how i pers- i so see there it
2: isn't an ideal drawing us forward i mean there's, or we something, may have of, well, there's of something
1: there i mean there it, i don't want to say there's no sense but you know it's kind of hazy hmm. and, and i think the closer we are along the pr- parts of habituation that are closer to us that we're closer to realizing are, are much clearer right? So, okay, we know what it looks like to be addicted to alcohol, right? Okay. Okay. So, and then, okay, so now I'm maybe less addicted to alcohol, right? And Mm -hmm. and now, okay, I see a new step, a new goal, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Not that we have no sense, right? But Mm -hmm. it it can only really become, I think, super clear as we're getting there.
2: Mm -hmm. How do you think, how do you see within the Christian tradition, how do you see the role of the life of Christ? And is the, yeah, Is the one, one answer would be, well of course there's an ideal. We have better than LeBron James, we have <laughs> right, right. we have the life of Jesus.
1: I mean obviously people spend like their lifetimes on yeah. how does discipleship or the life of Christ relate to ethics. But I guess I guess what I would say is I don't know. I mean, I think that Jesus Christ is important for any theology, obviously, or any Christian theology, obviously, but I'm not so sure that Jesus himself is a model of flourishing. Mm-hmm. I think you know, you've seen from womanist theologies or liberation theology, James Cone, Cross right, right. Lynching Tree, it, I mean, I think a lot of people have said that perhaps part of the meaning of the incarnation was some sort of intentional you know, Jesus choosing or allowing himself to be deprived full flourishing. And then the te- the trick is to see how Jesus was de- denied flourishing. And that was part of the point, right? It was part of the revelation of what it means to be um, fully divided and fully human in a broken world, but without that then meaning that God then wants us to not have flourishing, right? And so it, get, it can get very tricky. And so, again, I would just say, I think, I think the best way out of that is to look to those communities that are the most deprived of flourishing and see how they relate to Christ and how they relate that to a God of life or a God of flourishing, if that makes sense. But no, I don't think Jesus is necessarily, like, a spiritual LeBron James. Or, mm-hmm. oh, no, uh, let, me, let me take that out. He is a spiritual LeBron James, but he's not like, oh, this is the perfect, this had, he had the best, most flourishing life. Right, right? Right, I mean, more a morally perfect life, right? But not necessarily right. a flourishing life. Right, right, right. Which, again, that's, uh-huh. if we're looking just a straight, like, Aristotelian, that's supposed to not be possible, right? You're morally perfect, mm-hmm. your life is supposed to be awesome, mm-hmm. right? And I think Jesus' life, right himself shows that's just not true. You can actually be, at least according to Christian thought, the only sinless person in human history and you can still be tortured and crucified in your Uh early 30s.
2: Yeah, and you can go the stoic route and say no, he was happy right, right. in crucifixion because he, was, he had placed his happiness in his own moral virtue, and it was never cl- plainer than when he was on the cross, but right. that seems pretty hard to read yes. in the Christian tradition. Um, do we then have to look to the life of the enthroned Christ? <laughs> what, do <you> mean, <laughs> to, what do you mean by that? To think about kind of eschatological Christ, uh, the Christ of the world of perfect love, our ideal flourish human life.
1: I'm not quite familiar with that language, but I would say we don't have as much access, intellectual access. We don't necessarily, I think, have a lot of knowledge content-wise about, well, what does that Jesus in heaven look like, or the the eschatological, the ascended Jesus? Uh, So that's, I guess, what I would say.
2: Back into an imaginative process of trying to have some sort of trajectory that's the essence of who Christ is, hasn't changed from his life in Nazareth but there is some sort of And
1: something I, something I think that's recently I've been kind of meditating on and, and thinking about both spiritually and theologically is even Jesus, when he was resurrected during mm. his earthly resurrected life, he still had his wounds right. from the cross. And I, I mean, it's a very subtle thing, but I think there's actually something very profound about that. Maybe the yeah. way that God heals in history, right? Jesus, his wounds weren't taken away. They were turned into something different, but, you know, they were still there. The wounds on the cross that obviously were mm. violations and killed him, you see, that's touched them. And the resurrected life, and they became come, kind of vehicles for recognition and intimacy, right? I think that's an interesting way of thinking about maybe the way the kind of deprivations of flourishing in history mm-hmm. might get
2: reconciled eschatologically. One of the things we're trying to think about in this particular conversation, we're trying to think a bit about our kind of pluralistic context. It seems like well that, that's significant for then how we do theology and how we think about theology. And especially when we're thinking about some of the pr- kinds of problems that you're pointing us to, these are, to be sure, problems in the church. Though not only mm-hmm. problems in mm-hmm. the church, they extend beyond it. And it immediately seems to me theology, in the way that you're talking about it, then kind of automatically has a broader public in mind than just the church and just those who would share your convictions. How do you, what does theology have to say to a kind of broad, pluralistic context? How do we speak across that, across that, what can feel like maybe a divide between church and and world?
1: This could be because I'm an ethicist, right? But for me, I think it's less, how do we speak to the pluralistic context and how do we speak in it? I mean, I guess I'm kind of very formed by God in Spez, which was mm-hmm. a document on the Second Vatican Council, right? A kind of openness to the world, yeah. right? Truth. I mean, again, a mystic insight. Yeah. All truth is one truth can come from many different sources. So being open to that and mm-hmm. being willing to learn from that. And it, personally, I mean, issues I write about, Hey, who wouldn't love everybody to be like, Oh my gosh, your book, you've solved all the problems. Right. Of course. But I, I do, I think we should, I mean, I think our first, I mean, I think really our only audience really should be maybe not our only audience, but really we should mostly, concern ourselves with speaking, if not to the church, to other Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's mm-hmm. plenty, it's not like there's not enough work there. And I mean, cert- and, and again, certainly colleagues that do in a religious dialogue, or ecumen- I mean, that is tremendously important, not just kind of ethically or socially, but theologically, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to do that or anything, but I think, I guess, I just, uh, yeah, I, I just think there's enough work for us to speak to. I mean, if we, if we are theologians, I think that's our pri- primarily task is mm-hmm. speaking to other mm-hmm. Christians, talking with Mm-hmm. non-christians learning from them right and if they want to learn from us great right, right but right. that's just kind of but that's that could just be my kind of personal vocation i don't oh, know, that's, I don't know that's a universal thing but
2: that seems super super important at the very least the conversation it, to be it has to be a conversation right, <laughs> right. That learning happens on both sides communication runs in both directions uh, No, that's really helpful all right well one one final okay. question um We've talked about what's going well. We've talked about what maybe is cause for concern. Where would you have us look for hope for theology's future? Yeah, where should we be looking to say like, ah, I can see a good, uh, there's a good sign there. We're, we're headed in the right direction.
1: This this hope question is a tricky question, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't want hope to be optimism, but at the same time, it has to be something, mm-hmm. right? So you're looking for hope in history is always tricky. Mm-hmm. Precisely, the dynamic between divine and human agency is hard to know. Sometimes who's pulling the strings. I, I, I think, I, I guess, I mean, besides the things that I've said, I think are going well, which you could say that that's the reason for hope. And I, I yes. wouldn't deny it is, but I, I think if we're talking hope, we always have to take an eschatological yeah. mindset and have a certain, I mean, a, I think we have to do kind of a balance act. We have to have a kind of a detachment. We have to have a detachment from outcome in the sense that it doesn't, it won't diminish our desire to keep working or to keep trying to live in accordance with God's will or working for justice. But mm-hmm. we can't really, we can't lean on that. That can't be the reason why we live a certain way. So mm-hmm. I guess just hope for anything, right? And kind of take the eschatological mindset that if we do our part, God will do God's part. Mm-hmm. And then hope is also a certain sense of trust that mm-hmm. things will work out. Again, like with the virtue thing, we can't quite see how this whole thing is going to play out, but we trust and hope that it will.
2: The hope ultimately has to be in God. Yeah, exactly, exactly,
0: exactly. For the Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture at Yale Divinity School. This episode featured theological ethicist Katie Grimes and biblical scholar Matt Crosman. I'm Evan Rosa, and I edit and produce the show. For more information, visit us online at faith.yale.edu. New episodes drop every Saturday, sometimes midweek. If you're new to the show welcome friend hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app and we'd love your feedback ratings and reviews in apple podcasts are particularly helpful but we're just as happy to hear from you by email at faith at yale.edu we read each comment and do our best to respond and improve the show bringing you the people and topics that you want to hear and if you're a regular listener it's a huge honor that you stick with us from week to week so i'll ask you to step up and join us Help us share the show behind those three dots in your podcast app. There's an option to share this episode by text or email or social media. If you took a brief moment to send your favorite episode to a friend or share with the world, not only would you be supporting the show, you'd be sparking up a great conversation around stuff that matters with people that matter. Thanks for listening today, friends. We'll be back with more this coming week.